Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is brought to you by BasketballNews.com. This is episode number 34, and it's a bit different than our usual episodes. Usually we're on here talking NBA and all things basketball, but this NFL offseason has been so crazy. I've talked about it before on the podcast, but I'm a big fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and there's so many interesting things happening in the Bucs world. So I figured I'd bring on PFF's Trevor Sikama to help me break down everything going on in the NFL with the Bucs, the 2022 NFL Draft. So I'm excited to welcome in Trevor. Trevor, thanks for joining me. How are you? I am doing great, Alex. It's, I feel like this uh, us talking some Bucks football has been a long time in the making, man. So I'm just I'm very excited about this. It's such a fun time to be a Bucks fan and an NFL fan in general. I feel like yes, yes. usually like an NBA offseason, we see so many stars changing teams and there's all this different player movement. But this NFL offseason has been the craziest that I can remember. You have so many, you know, Russell Wilson, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams changing teams. The Bucks. it feels like every week there's some new crazy story going on. You had the whole Aaron Rodgers situation, uh, even like lesser guys like Matt Ryan, and Carson Wentz, all these guys changing teams. Is this the craziest offseason that you've ever you know been involved with as far as like covering the league? Oh, without a doubt. And, and, you know, I've only been covering the league for about six years. You know, it's funny. Uh, I had John McClain, who had worked for the Houston Chronicle for 45 years covering the NFL. I had him on my podcast recently, and I kind of asked him the same question. So he's got a lot more years on me. And he said that yeah, this is the craziest offseason that he's ever seen. He's got more than four decades in this covering this. So, I mean, you mentioned it. The quarterback movement enough is just wild. Russell Wilson moving, everything that happened with Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers going back to Green Bay, Tom Brady retiring, then coming out of retirement, Matt Ryan moving after 15 years in Atlanta, Carson Wentz somehow going to another team, and people are paying draft capital for him. It just, I couldn't believe it. I, I just couldn't believe all of the movement. It's been absolutely crazy. It's totally shaken up the league. And we're going to see, we're going to see a much different NFL this upcoming season, which is going to be fun. Now, this is always a question that we talk about on the NBA side of things, because it feels like whenever a star player is moved, fans immediately jump to the next star that could possibly be available. Like <laughs> we saw the Giannis watch in Milwaukee. There's always some, you know, next star player that fans are, are looking at. Since we've seen so many big moves happen already, I, I think now everyone's kind of looking at the wide receivers because Devontae, Tyreek got paid, Stephon Diggs just got paid. So people are looking at that next class of, you know, could it be A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, D.K. Metcalf? If someone asked you, like, what's the next big superstar move that we could see in the NFL, who would be some players that you're looking at? Would it be those wide receivers, potentially? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's always probably wide receiver is the safest bet because there's just so many of them, right? I mean, like, there's so many great guys that are coming through the draft every year. There's so many different options that could pop up here and there that it's just 
it's easier to think you would move wide receivers above other positions. Like I don't like Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, like they're not going anywhere. They're the best tight ends in the game. And if you've got a great tight end, you're probably not moving on from it. Running backs don't really have that kind of value, but the teams that have really great running backs normally don't want to lose them in a trade. That's not really happening. Quarterbacks outside of this offseason normally don't get moved. And then offensive linemen's kind of a similar way. Maybe you can get them in free agency, but trading a really good offensive lineman just doesn't often happen. So it's kind of like by default, there's just so many good wide receivers that you're bound if there's going to be a next quote unquote major move, it would come from that position. You brought up AJ Brown, DK Metcalf's in there as well as, you know, the Seahawks said that they weren't going to trade him. Houston says they're not moving on from Brandon cooks, but we've you know heard whispers of him maybe being on the move there. I'm interested to see, you know, does Deandre Hopkins stay around in Arizona? If things start to go South in Arizona with cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray and that whole situation, like, I'm not saying I'm hearing anything, but you know, a year from now, if things completely look different in Arizona, do they maybe move on from DeAndre Hopkins? Does somebody make a move for him again to go to a different team? So Debo Samuel apparently on Instagram recently removed, doesn't follow the 49ers anymore. So who knows, man, it's just a ton of drama. And, and I think that anytime a wide receiver does anything, somebody's going to say, Ooh, let's get them on our team because they are great offensive weapons. They are exciting. And I do think that's normally what moves the needle in the trade market. Now you mentioned I'm a big, I'm a big Bucks fan. You know, I've been a fan since like the Trent Dilfer days, you know, a long time ago, my whole family's are, Buc- you know, Bucks fans. So I came up watching the Bucks. Uh, so I'm biased here, but correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like this off season has played out perfectly for the Bucks. You know, so many top contenders that were, you know, in the Bucks way are kind of imploding. You had the Packers lose Devonte Adams, Chiefs lose Tyree Kill, the Rams, even though they gained Allen Robinson and Bobby Wagner, you know, they lose Von Miller, they lose left tackle, they lose some other defensive pieces. The Sean Watson nearly comes to the Bucks division, then the last second that blows up. Uh, you have so many guys going to the AFC, whether it's Russell Wilson, Von Miller, a lot of names kind of just going over there. It feels like, you know, meanwhile, the Bucs have, you know, brought back almost all of their players, minus Jordan Whitehead, Alex Kappa. They're making some great additions. Uh, the cap isn't real. <laughs> they, they, they have wizards <laughs> in the salary, you know, when it comes to like their salary cap team. It feels like they're in excellent position to go another deep run with like the Rams looking like really the only big challenger, except unless the Packers can add something in the draft as far as weapons. Would you agree that this offseason seems like the perfect scenario for the Bucs? Yeah, I mean, because... I mean, no bias involved here. Look at the NFC and, and tell me which playoff teams got better. Yeah. I, I can't I can't name you one of them. You look at the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, they're still a good team, but now they don't have Randy Gregory and Amari Cooper. Okay, those two guys are gone. You look at the Packers. Okay, the Packers have kind of maintained a little bit, but they don't have Zedarius Smith, who they could have gotten back and who could have played really well for them. They also now don't have Devontae Adams, which is obviously huge. Um, Arizona Cardinals, uh, they kind of sputtered towards the end of the season. Kyler's unhappy there. Russell Wilson's not even in the same conference anymore. The Rams you mentioned are still going to be good, but they lose Von Miller. They lose Andrew Whitworth. There's, uh, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. Status is up in the air. They lose Robert Woods. You, okay. They add Allen Robinson, but those are major losses, man. Darius Williams, their core, their starting corner is no longer there. Like when you look at the NFC, it was a mass exodus, man, from the talent that you saw from that conference that went to the other side. Matt Ryan's not in Atlanta anymore. Khalil Mack's not in Chicago. Like you just look at all of these teams, in the NFC that lost so much premier talent to the other conference. And now it looks like the AFC is just going to beat each other up. And meanwhile, it's probably going to be one of three teams, either the Rams, the Bucks, or the Packers are going to 
advance to the Super Bowl, and it's not really a, it's not really an eight horse, nine horse, ten horse race in that conference. And so I think that yes, it, I mean it worked out perfectly for them, not just on the outside but also on the inside. Of course, I don't think they expected Tom Brady to retire. I think a lot of people didn't expect Tom Brady to retire. He ends up unretiring, which I think was really, which is obviously a huge deal. But they lose Ali Marpet. They replace him with Shaq Mason. You know, it's uh, they thought they were going to lose Ryan Jensen, and they thought they were going to lose uh, Carlton Davis. Those guys come back. Chris Godwin resigns his contract. Like everything is just kind of in line here for them. Now they're waiting on Gronkowski to come back, but I think it's the worst kept secret in the world that he's going to come back for another year and play for the Buccaneers. So I think that he's just resting. I think he's having a little bit of fun with it, but. Uh, this team is basically exactly what they were the year before. And even the year before that, when they won the Super Bowl, it's all right there for them. And so the answer to that question is yes. I mean, the offseason essentially could not have gone better for them. And think about this too. Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles both had head coaching interviews and head coaching opportunities. Both of them are still on the Buccaneers coaching staff, including Crazy. Todd Bowles, who is now the head coach there. So, you know, Bruce Arians is still in the building, but he's less of a coach. He's more of a front front uh, front office kind of a guy, which might be the better spot for him anyways. It's pretty wild how well things worked out with Tampa when just a month and a half ago when Brady was still retired and Ali Marpet retired and all the coaches were taking interviews it looked like things were kind of bleak. Yeah, my buddy was talking to me like probably a month ago, and it was like, you know, Blaine Gabbert versus Kyle Trask, Chris Godwin's probably <laughs> yes. gone, Jensen's yes. gone. You know, do we trade Levante David? And like talking about just like blowing it up completely to now, I mean, they're in amazing position. So it's wild how much can change in a few weeks. But you mentioned Todd Bowles stepping over as head coach and, and Bruce Arians moving to the front office. I feel like if there's any team that can you know, kind of overcome this or not really be affected too much by this. It is the Bucs because we've heard that Bruce Arians relied heavily on his assistants. They were kind of handling the game plan. They weren't too, you know, he wasn't involved in the defense. He kind of was hands off there. Um, I think Rick Stroud put it, put it great. He said that he's a hands off CEO um, and would basically just let his, you know, people kind of manage things. And he was the voice of the team and was motivating guys, yelling at guys when needed, but he can still do that in this new role. It sounded, it kind of sounds to me like the titles are changing, but Bowles and Leverage will still handle the game planning. They'll have a little bit more say and can do things the way they want to, but Arians will still be around kind of teaching, motivating. It feels like the roles will be pretty similar. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it'll be it will be more similar than it would be for other people who might try to make this move because you're right. Bowles has been a lot less of a head coach and more of that hands-off CEO, as Rick put it, more of the overseer than most head coaches are just in the NFL. A lot of coaches in the NFL don't really have that luxury. And I think Bruce Arians does, you know, and the same reason why he was comfortable in handing the job to Todd Bowles well, I'd say I want to say handing. I mean, that's kind of insulting. Todd Bowles has earned this position and I want to make that fully clear, but you know, with Arians giving that title over to Bowles, allowing him to take the reins, that is because he has had faith in all of the guys who have been under him and around him throughout his head coaching tenure. It's not an act. This is not like a lie. He, this is genuinely who he has been. He entrusts his head coaches or his assistant coaches, excuse me, to have this kind of responsibility. It's not like this fake calling, you know, he Byron Leftwich calls the plays. He does. He, he comes up with the offensive game plan. He, and Bruce gave him that power and allowed him to do that. So for him to step away, you're right. Not a lot is changing. Byron's still going to call the offensive plays. He's still going to design the offensive game plan with Brady. Um, Todd Bowles is still going to call defensive plays. He's still going to be the archetype of the defensive game plan every week for the Buccaneers. So there's not a lot of, 
like Tuesday to Saturday or even Sunday things that are that are changing. I think Bruce is just going to kind of be around to be that extra football voice, maybe just that veteran guy in the locker room and in the front office to give his two cents and give his input and stay around the team. But it's going to be a pretty smooth transition. Yeah. Yeah, I tweeted this. I hope that Arians can now just work closely with Trask. You know, he's the quarterback whisperer. He's going to have that can be like a special project, just kind of preparing Trask for whenever Brady does leave, because it feels like, uh, you know, with him retiring, the thought was, OK, well, Trask didn't really get any reps in last year as, you know, a starter or with the the first unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, obviously, I get having Gabbert here just in case there's an injury or something there. But I think if he's able to work one on one with Trask and just kind of coach him up and I think that would be amazing because I know he said he doesn't really know what he's going to be doing on you know, game days and what his exact role is going to be during the week. But I feel like just kind of teaching and then also like helping other coaches too. like, if there's other coaches on the staff that have a lot of promise or up and coming, I would love for him to work with those coaches too. I mean, there's so many different possibilities that they can do, but what are some ideas that you have that, you know, you think that Arians could possibly be, you know, what, what could he be possibly doing during the week? Yeah, I, I I I almost love him as just like a true mentor kind of a guy. And, you know, it's funny when you become the head, uh, the head coach in the NFL, I think everybody would tell you it's, it's just, it's a lot more about people management than it is even just football. And I think this is a way for, I think the best of what Bruce brought to the organization over the last couple of years, especially the last two years since Brady has been there has been that people management thing, being a motivator, being somebody whose door is always open, if you will. Players can talk to, players can approach, and all this kinds of stuff. And and Bruce is a big-time players coach. He's a big tell-it-like-it-is kind of a guy. And I think that's his best role. I really do. I think, you know, he'll give his two cents in the, in the scouting room and in front office decisions. And, you know, if coaches come to him and ask for his suggestions here and there, he'll give that too. But I think the best role that he could have is without a doubt just being that mentor for guys within the organization. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned him being hands-on with Kyle Trask. Maybe that's a great way to do it, spending a little bit more time with the, with the young quarterback there. But that's honestly how I see him. I, I don't want to call it like a camp counselor or a therapist kind of a thing, but that's when Bruce is at his best. He has seen so much throughout the game of football. He's dealt with so many different people. He knows so many different stories. He knows how to relate to players. And I think the best attribute of him as a leader is that he is that player's coach. And I think that's the kind of role in which he could best serve the Buccaneers moving forward. Now, I know uh, some Bucs fans are upset whenever Jordan Whitehead left to go to the Jets. But, you know, since then, they've brought in Logan Ryan, Keno Neal. Can you kind of give a scouting report on Ryan and Neal for Bucks fans that may not be too familiar with them and kind of how they could fit in alongside Antoine Whitfield and uh, Mike Edwards? Yeah, I, I like the Neal edition a lot because... I felt like over the last couple of years, Whitehead has been an absolute tone setter for that defense. And and that is also what Keanu Neal has been throughout the course of his career. I graduated from the University of Florida, and while I was a student there, Keanu Neal was a starting safety for a really great 2012 defense under Will Muschamp. And that was his entire role, is, is he was that enforcer. He was that guy that was going to lay a smack over the middle or at the line of scrimmage and be great in pursuit with wide receivers, make a big hit towards the sideline, something like that. And that's what Whitehead has been for the Buccaneers as this strong safety type could play as a, uh, that, that kind of like middle of the field rat hole coverage defender, but also a guy who's going to creep up with the linebacker level and pursue towards the line of scrimmage. And, that's the role I could see him playing. I think you've got enough coverage on the back end with guys like Logan Ryan, uh, with with Mike Edwards, with Antoine Winfield Jr., they can play a little bit more deeper in coverage, although 
I think Logan Ryan can play more of that slot, like pseudo slot corner kind of a thing. If you've got a bigger tight end or a bigger wide receiver there, I think he's got a lot more, a little bit more strength than some other corners do. But I think the two main guys in the back end are still going to be Edwards and still going to be Antoine Winfield Jr. But uh, Keanu Neal can definitely replace that whitehead role that you brought up there. Speaking of Kyle Trask and, you know, you mentioning that you're a UF grad, um, you, you do a lot of, uh, studying with the draft and your draft coverage is great for PFF. So I'm curious, like if, what's the scouting report on Kyle Trask and do you believe that he'd be the best quarterback in this year's draft? And is there anyone that he reminds you of as far as a comparison? I, I didn't really have a good comp for him when he was coming out last year. I thought Trask was a good college quarterback. I, I wasn't sure how good he was going to be in the NFL. And obviously his, his career is still so young and so sitting behind Brady and, and Gavard and even an experienced backup in Ryan Griffin. I mean, he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time no matter what. So it's, I don't want anybody to be like, Oh, he hasn't even played yet. Well, of course he hasn't even played yet. We were never going to see Kyle Trask there. I was actually very surprised that the Bucks picked him because I don't think that he's the type of Arians quarterback who would play in that system because Arians system is very much a push the ball vertically, be aggressive kind of a thing. And for as much as Trask had a lot of stats when he was at Florida, he's not that type of quarterback. He doesn't have that like Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, even Jameis Winston kind of arm where you're fitting that ball into really tight windows, 20, 25, 30 yards down the field. I mean, I think that Kyle Trask is much more of a finesse touch type passer who played well, again, played well in college. I just wasn't sure that he had that kind of howitzer arm or that heat, that arm talent with velocity that you could have to succeed at the NFL level, especially in an Aryan system. And so I was kind of skeptical about the fit when it happened on draft night. That's not to say that he can't be a good quarterback in this league. I just, I I don't know if it's going to be in Tampa for this system. I think they'd have to change things around a little bit to get the most out of Trask. That's how I feel too. And I mean, on draft night, even it seems so shocking just because they were so all in on last season and trying to win. So drafting someone that, you know, yep. you're not going to play for, I mean, best case scenario, two, three years, but at the very least one year down the road. I mean, it just felt like there's so many positions they could have used, especially when you see all the injuries that happened to the offensive line and the wide receiver room and secondary, like that would have been amazing to have a second round pick that could have just kind of plugged in and provide some depth there. Yep. No, I agree. I agree with you completely. When they said his name in the second round on draft night, I was like, why? <laughs> I yeah. just didn't, I just didn't really know. The Bucks have never been in this good of a winning window before in franchise history. I understand the defense that they had back in the 2002 days and it was legendary, but this winning window with Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time uh, is, is still above that. And so they had a chance to get a really nice late second round selection. And they picked the guy who, shouldn't even play for them for the next two to three years. So I don't know. I was very confused on that one too. Now I have one or two more free agency questions. Then we'll kind of move over to the draft. Um, it seems like signings have really slowed down considerably. Um, I'd have to think that's good news for contenders like the bucks or Rams who you want, they want to add ring chasing veterans on bargain deals. Uh, I'm guessing some of these players, we kind of see this in the NBA a lot too, where guys realize they're not going to get the money they wanted to. So they start looking at those one year prove it deals with contenders where they'll get a lot of national TV time where they can really showcase their game so they can get paid next off season. I'd imagine if you want to go to a ring chasing team, the bucks or Rams make the most sense because there is such little competition in the NFC. You got the good weather. I mean, for the bucks, there's the no state income tax, which means you can make a little bit more money from that bargain deal. Um, 
you know, we kind of saw that with Neil and Ryan. They probably could have gotten more elsewhere, especially Ryan. But, you know, he obviously got paid from the Giants, so was willing to take the minimum. But could you see more ring chasers uh, choosing a team like the Bucks? Is that something that you're anticipating? Yeah, I mean, it, anytime anytime you're in a, the, the position that Tampa's in, I mean, you, you're going to have guys potentially come to your team, right? I mean, you look at the guys who are left that everybody's talking about. Tyron Matthew hasn't signed yet. Jadavian Clowney hasn't signed yet. Stephon Gilmore, Odell Beckham Jr., right? Those are a lot of the biggest names of the guys that are still out there. I don't know if any of those guys come to Tampa, but I think that a lot of them would want to play on the same team as Tom Brady. So who knows, I guess, you know, this, uh, this is about making the most out of the winning window while you have it. And I think that you, they're only certainly guaranteed one more year of Tom Brady and they got to make something happen here. So I do, I think that look, look, whether it was, you know, Brady was the guy who called about Russell Gage because he wanted to make it happen. You know, when they thought about bringing in Shaq Mason to replace Ali Marpet, which is kind of out of nowhere, Brady was involved with that. So I just think that it's always the case. They're always going to be, chasing after whoever makes their team better. And so the longer free agency goes with these big names still there, the better likelihood it gets that they're going to sign on the cheap to play for a contender and maybe win a ring. Yeah. Brady's done an awesome job as far as recruiting goes, you know, not only this off season, but we saw in the past too, like apparently he reached out to Sherman Fournette. Um, right. It's been great. I mean, Julio Jones, we heard that rumor that he's reached out to Julio, which he's right. one of the names that right. I know Bucks fans are asking about. I'm not sure how that would work. You already gave Russell Gage big money. And I mean, in a perfect world, Grant comes back and, Russell Gage is your fourth option. Already seems kind of crazy enough as is with, you know, he seems like a perfect fit for Brady in this offense. But if you also add Julio, I mean, that's just insane. I can't even it, see how that would work. <laughs> I mean, it almost seems like too many people. It would be hilarious for people who have followed the Bucks for a long time to see uh, to see Julio Jones in, in pewter and red. I will say that. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, we've always... Uh, He's put up some big numbers in Ray J and it's always been frustrating. So if he did it for the other team, that'd be, that'd be pretty great. Um, so as far as uh, the draft, again, you do a fantastic job with the draft at PFF and anytime any kind of transaction happens, the first place I go is PFF to look for grades and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you guys have a fantastic site over there. Um, I'm curious, who's the prospect that you're higher on than consensus and who's the prospect that you're lower on than consensus? Uh, higher on, there's always two that I kind of think I believe I'm higher on one of them, not as much anymore. The other one I still think is probably the case. The first one is George Pickens, the wide receiver out of Georgia. I had him as my wide receiver one going into the college football season, even with him coming off of the ACL tear, which he had last March. He wasn't able to play most of the season, but came in for the SEC championship game and then the college football playoff games. And so he was able to show that he was able to get back to form, show to the combine that he was big, strong, fast, everything that you would want in a wide receiver one. He's got that alpha mentality and he's not still my wide receiver two, but he's still within my top five wide receivers in this class. I think he's a potential first rounder. I really do. I think he's one of those fringe top 50 guys that could go back into the first round, early second round. He's going to make a team very, very happy, I believe. And the other guy is Drake Jackson, the pass rusher from USC. He's got really great flashes. If you do the drill where you go, hey, show me this guy's five best plays, you'd watch this player and you think, okay, this guy's going top 12. This guy's going top 10 because of what he is able to do with bend and flexibility and things like that. And so I just, I, I think that he's, he's way underrated. I think that he might be one of the most underrated players in this entire draft class. It doesn't seem like he has any chance of going in the first round. He's going to go somewhere on day two. And I, again, I think that he's going to make a team very, very happy. Uh, somebody that I am lower on than everybody. I mean, the, the quarterback class, I guess, but I feel like everybody's kind of low on the quarterback class. Maybe it's a certain quarterback. Mm, you know, I 
I was high on Kenny Pickett initially. I guess I'll go with Kenny Pickett. He was my quarterback one at some point going into the season, and then I kind of went back and I watched his film, especially back-to-back-to-back against some of the rest of the guys in his class. And when I see Pickett, I just don't see a player that you invest a premium pick in. I, I, I really don't, because even if Pickett gives you the best of what you've seen on tape from Pittsburgh last year, I'm not sure if it's ever a guy that you're not going into the offseason with thinking that you can upgrade from anyways. And mm. there's not really a point to drafting that kind of a player high. Again, I don't think Kenny Pickett is bad. I don't think that he is a, a terrible quarterback. I'm not saying that at all whatsoever. But when you have people telling me that the Carolina Panthers are going to pick him at six or <laughs> shoot, even the New Orleans Saints are going to pick him at 18, like – if I believe that you're picking a guy who you're eventually going to want to replace, then why am I spending a second, a first round pick on you? That's, that's something that's really hard for me to get by with Kenny Pickett. Some people still have him as a QB one. I can understand it because I'm not the biggest fan of this QB class and it's going to be a lot of pick your flavor on stuff. But um, I just feel like Kenny Pickett's kind of a guy that you're, you, you might want to replace too early. And if that's the case, there's not really a point to invest in a first round pick in him. Yeah, that makes sense. The teams that want to address the quarterback position don't have a ton of options in this draft. So the guys that you know are available are going to move up boards. But if he was in last year's draft, for example, you'd be talking about him much lower, I'd imagine. So he, I mean, he'd be going, he'd be going like where Trask went. He'd be going yeah. where Trask and Davis Mills went. And if you're if you're picking Kenny Pickett there, I got no problem with it. Picking him yeah. in the second round, like sure, that's great. I think that's a good spot for him because then all of a sudden he becomes a player who you get on your roster. If you don't have a, a, a solidified quarterback, he's maybe competing for a starting job. Maybe he's your short-term starter for a year or two, and like that's okay. Like that can get your franchise in the right direction. But if you're picking this guy as, I mean, if you're picking him number six overall, you're you're looking to make him the face of your franchise. I yeah. don't know if he has that kind of game in him. So who knows? We'll see. That's a lot of pressure. Um, so it feels like the three players that I hear the most when the people are talking about the Bucks and, and their options at number 27 are Devonta Wyatt. I know you guys just did a mock draft uh, and, and you had him go into the Bucks uh, based on kind of how the board fell. Zion Johnson's there, one that you hear a lot, and then Kenyon Green if Zion's not there. Um, of those three, like how would you guys, how would you rank those three, I guess, as far as the best options? And if those three are all gone, who's your number four that could be the answer? I think... I would rank them. It's so hard between Zion Johnson and, and Devontae Wyatt. I just hope I, one of them is there. That's my hope. I think, I don't know if they're going to be, I think the most likely of the two of them is probably Devontae Wyatt. Mm. Uh, Cause I just think the NFL really likes Zion Johnson a lot. It's one of those two. It's one A and one B. I'm going to cop out. I'm going to say like either of those two is absolutely fantastic. Kenny Green, I think would be great as well. I think if you get him on the interior, I think that'd be really nice. I think targeting Tyler Smith, maybe as a second rounder, the offensive tackle from Tulsa, who's got a big time bean streak to him. He played left tackle for Tulsa the last two years, but I think his best skill sets, his strengths might actually be at guard. So he's an option there. If they can't get themselves Zion Johnson at 27, I think another guy that I would really like is Travis Jones. I don't know if the team's going to be super in on him because I've I've kind of been told that if they don't bring back Sue and they're looking to invest a decently high pick on the interior defensive line, they want more of that three-tech, one-gap penetrating pass rush defensive tackle. And that's not really what Travis Jones from UConn is. But Travis Jones from UConn is really good. And he's got a great strength profile, man. Sometimes he's getting double-teamed, triple-teamed in the trenches. And – 
dude, I've saw, I saw clips of him when he was at UConn. He's getting a double team from a duo block and he is not yielding a yard an inch wow. a foot when he is sitting there. I did that in the wrong order, but he is not moving <laughs> at all. He is a true anchor there in the middle. And I think that him next to Vita Vea would free up Shaq Barrett and Joe try and show Yinka so much as the edge players. It would free up Devin white to be a great blitzer up the A and the B gaps. Like, that's another player where if he's on the board, like if Zion Johnson's gone, if Devontae Wyatt's gone and Travis Jones is there, I think I'd be pulling the trigger, man. He's good. I like that. That makes sense. Um, the Traylon Burke stuff is interesting to me. The fact that they're bringing him for a visit, they talked to him the combine, apparently. Like we just talked about how they have all these different weapons and it's not really a need, but I wonder if part of it is you just saw last season, uh, obviously the Antonio Brown thing didn't go as planned. Chris Godwin gets hurt. Rashad Perriman gets hurt. You had all these different injuries. So literally by the end of that Rams game, you were playing Cam Braid out wide <laughs> because you didn't have any wide receiver depth. Um, so I'd imagine that kind of scared them uh, just looking. But I mean, what are the odds that you have that many wide receiver injuries happen all at the same time? I've heard, you know, Burks has been compared to like A.J. Brown or like a linebacker size Debo Samuel. Someone said that, I think. Um, but it just feels like there's bigger needs. Would you agree with that? I mean, and what are your thoughts on Burks as a possible option? Yeah, I think they're going to pick a wide receiver eventually in the draft just because I think that's smart just to get new blood in the receiver position almost every single year, no matter where you're picking it. You might hit gold on it. There's just so many great wide receivers coming through the draft class every year. Uh, you know, Traylon Burke's a very unique weapon. So for them to be doing their due diligence on them, that's the right process. And an offense with Chris Godwin, Traylon Burks, Mike Evans with, you know, Russell Gage and Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson behind him. I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's one of the deepest wide receiver rooms that you're going to find. So, you know, I, I think that he would be an option and he'd be fun at 27, but I think we'd have to get past a handful of players before for me to really like sign off on that being the case. That's probably next in line. If I'm being honest with you, well, I think the way that I would probably look at it is I'd go trenches first. Like I'd either go a good offensive lineman or a good defensive lineman. I think that's one and two. I'd probably draft a corner next. I think that there's going to be, I think whether it's Andrew Bruce or Roger McCreary or Kyler Gordon, I'd probably draft a corner above a wide receiver because next year Tampa might be in a dilemma, especially with the Carlton Davis contract where they've got to re-sign one of either Jamel Dean or um, Sean Murphy Bunting. So, you know, the guys around the roster aren't exactly like fill in players can start them and rely on them right away. So why not get ahead of that curve a little bit, draft the corner, get him in the system a little bit. So I think I'd be picking a corner even above a wide receiver, but wide receiver would probably be next after that. Yeah. I thought Rick Stroud made a great point on his podcast. Uh, I would definitely recommend that too. He said that um, a sports day Tampa Bay is the name of it. Um, he said that one thing that Jason light does a great job of is identifying guys that could be gone the next year. So even last year's draft, you look at Hainsey was a possible replacement for Jensen Trask mm-hmm. for Brady try on for JPP. So yeah, that makes sense. If you know, you have these guys coming up for free agency, uh, you know, possibly finding their replacement just in case. I mean, right. Best case scenario, you have great depth. Worst case, you have them stepping in as a starter. Um, last question for you. And this is more of a developmental question. And still, I mean, you look at these guys, they played really well and they were huge during the Super Bowl run, but you, you remember, you have to remember that, you know, Devin white, uh, Sean Murphy bunting, Jamel Dean, these are young guys, even Carlton Davis. These are very young players. Last year, Devin White took a step back. I think there's some Bucks fans that are concerned about the secondary and their consistency. What did you see from those guys last year? And do you think we could see Devin White kind of get back to that level he was at in the secondary, you know, become a little bit more consistent? 
Well, first, first of all, secondary is always cyclical. Like it's, 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 it's always, you know, we saw the Legion of Boom in Seattle be one of the greatest secondaries that we've ever seen. And then all of a sudden there was just this massive drop off, you know, and it's like, I know a couple of the guys obviously we're not on the team anymore, but like if they were still in, still playing at an incredibly high level, they would have kept that core around for a, a much longer. And it's just, there's so much of an up and down when you play secondary, it, it's just, that's kind of a position, you know, it's, they talk about, you got to have short-term memory to be a, to be a good secondary player. And like, that's true because that's, you're, you're going to get your lump. So I think that I wouldn't be worried about the secondary at all. They could bounce back at any time. The Devin white thing, the Devin white stuff is really funny to me because um, after the Super Bowl run, you had people, Talk about Devin White, like he was the best linebacker in the NFL, or that he, he was a player of the year, or that he was yeah. like a top three linebacker in the NFL. It's yeah. never the case. It's never the case. I love Devin White. Devin White's fantastic. I'm glad he's a Buccaneer. He's such a great player. He's an incredible leader. He's a great like uh, he he is such the fire of that defense. He's unbelievable. He, coverage has never been Devin White's thing. Like it's never been Devin White's thing, and like that's that's okay because he has Levante David playing next to him. But when you see that incredible run in the Super Bowl of Devin White playing with his hair on fire and making all these plays and making these tackles and making these sacks and all that stuff, he's he does that. He's allowed to play that free because Levante David is sitting next to him. If you take Levante David off, like if Devante Levante David gets hurt like he did, and you try to put Devin White in that situation, it's gonna look bad. Devin White's never been good at coverage. Now I'm not saying that he can't be in the future, but you 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 saying it and i don't blame you for this at all you saying like can devin white get back to form like devin white at the peak of what people were talking about him he's always been that and i think people yeah. just kind of made up the rest of it they were like oh he's one of the best linebackers in the nfl well no calm down but like that also <laughs> doesn't that also doesn't mean that He's bad because he's not, he's not. Devin White's a great linebacker, and I think a fantastic complementary key part for this defense. Just don't make him something he's not. So it's I think that's that's always been the biggest thing for me with Devin White because this I've I've had so many conversations about this. Don't make him something he's not. You don't need to be so hyperbolic about Devin White in order to really appreciate him. You don't. What he does for Tampa is incredibly important, but it's. Not what Levante David does. Don't compare the two. It's not the same thing. They play the same. They play the same position on the depth chart. They play very different positions in the defense. So that's kind of just my overall thoughts about it. But to answer your overarching question, yes, these are all guys that can bounce back, get back to form, play to what they need to for this defense to work well. That was very well said because I agree. It, it was hyperbolic in both directions. Like after the Super Bowl run, it was he could be Defensive Player of the Year, one of the best defenders in the league, and Bucks fans were understandably excited looking at that performance in his age. And then the last after last season, it went in the total opposite direction. Like, I saw people on Twitter talking about, like, trading Devin White this offseason because he was so bad last year and stuff like that. So it, it seemed, and Twitter is, you know, that's Twitter. That's how it is. But huge overreactions and things. But, yeah, I had to ask about him since I've seen a lot of Bucks fans you know, concerned uh, about his play last year, but that was a great breakdown. I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. You know, I could talk bucks for hours, so I appreciate you jumping on here and uh, breaking down everything. Crazy offseason. We had to do this. That it was. I appreciate you having me on, Alex. This is a lot of fun. Everyone, make sure you guys follow uh, Trevor at Tampa Bay Trey. He does a fantastic job breaking down the draft. Not only just the Bucks, you know, obviously I'm biased. I love his draft or his Bucks coverage, but excellent stuff breaking down the whole NFL and the draft. 
uh, check out PFF. They do a fantastic job as well. Uh, again, I'm always on there looking at different grades and uh, this time of year, it's, a, it's an amazing resource and during the season too. They do weekly grades and stuff as well. So check out PFF. If you guys want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, make sure to subscribe, give us a like, give us a review. And until next time, thanks for listening.